Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I'm Haney. We are Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry. In uh, Haney's case, it's actually a blanket <laughs> covering her, but I'll get back to that in a bit. With specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 255, recorded on February the 12th, 2024. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, under Haney's Blanket, and on <laughs> most, if not all, podcasting platforms. I think that's the most accurate thing so far. So Haney is, is spending some time under the blanket of shame. Yes. And I will never hear the end of this, I am sure. That is correct. You get one shot, and you had that under a blanket. Now you had yes. your second time. <laughs> so... Well, the first one was because we didn't have any furniture in the rooms yet. So I had all the gear needed, but we just didn't have soft things in the room. And now I just yeah. screwed up. <laughs> So you are improving. You lost the furniture the first time. You lost the uh, <laughs> mixer this time. So next time you will not lose anything. It's improving. Yeah, yeah, definitely much better. We'll just go ahead and, and slightly apologize for, for Haney's audio. It is not going to be this bad for the rest of the year. It's just a, a bit of a snafu. So we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of news items and some blogs. So it kind of feels like the, the year hasn't really started from the perspective of news. I'm also kind of thinking that um, most of the Microsoft people are busy running around and preparing for the Fabric Community Summit or what is it? Fabric Community Conference. That's the name in mm -hmm. Las Vegas in a couple of weeks time. But there are some news. So the first one is that the Fabric VNet gateway is now generally available. Now, that's all good and well. What is the VNet data gateway for Fabric and Power BI? It's a way to essentially connect uh, everything you need to a virtual network, a VNet, so you never touch the public endpoints. That's a good thing. The bad thing, in my view, is that you only have access to paginated reports. That's good. Data flows, Gen 2, that's good. Power Platform data flows, I guess that's good too. And the semantic models. What is not in there is fabric pipelines. Hmm. They state that that's going to come, but yeah, from, me, for, from my perspective, uh, I'm not very happy with this super focus on uh, on um, Dataflow's Gen 2. Mm -mm. Um, but that's that's me. It's not my cup of tea. Uh, I don't like the limitations, but that's where they clearly put in most of their, uh, their work on. And there's a bit of a bonus news item that I, I didn't really plan on putting in, but, but I, I need to run this by you because I, I need to hear your views. Mm -hmm. As of this recording, this blog post is not visible. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to figure out why. Announcing Fabric Copilot pricing. It's a good thing you're both sitting down. Today, we announced the Copilot in Fabric will be available for purchase on March 1st, 2024 at 
Keep up with this. At a rate of 400 capacity unit seconds per 1000 input tokens and 1200 capacity unit seconds per 1000 output tokens. Did you pick that up? No. Okay. I'll, I'll make it easier for you. Tokens can be thought of as pieces of words. As a reference, mm -hmm. a thousand tokens approximately represents 750 words. The Fabric Copilot cost is calculated per a thousand tokens, and input and output tokens are consumed at different rates. So let's take an example. If you're utilizing Copilot for Power BI and your request involves 500 input tokens and 100 output tokens, then you'll be charged a total of 500 times 400 plus 100 times 1200 divided by 1000 equals 320 <coughs> capacity unit seconds in Fabric. I'm glad that you're a math teacher, Haney. Yeah, I cannot count this in my head anymore. I need like a piece of paper and a pen and put the numbers down. I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> no, and that's a very good way of, of putting it. I have no idea what just happened. I can see what this is. I mean, they, they need to charge in some way, but holy mother, insert whatever it's holy for you. This, yeah, no, I... I have nothing. I have literally nothing. I sincerely hope that they rethink this because this is nigh on useless. Mm. But if, if I understand this correctly, the tokens are the words that you can use to prompt Copilot. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if I write a sentence in, let's say, 75 words, mm -hmm. that would be equivalent to 100 tokens. Ish. Ish, Ish, yeah. yeah. And then dependent on how long the response is, yep. I get paid for that as well. Now you hmm. get to pay for that, yes. Yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise it would have been great. I know. Yes. Uh, print every single character on the internet, please. Uh -huh. uh, but Perfect. That sounds very, very, very expensive compared to any other co-pilot out there. Mm -hmm. because I don't know. So the, the, the scary part of this is that you can never really figure out how much are you going to pay for this. If they mm -hmm. had gone for a monthly, uh, whatever, a fixed rate, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Mm -hmm. Or you have a fixed number of questions that you can ask. Mm -hmm. That would have worked as well. This, people are going to be scared of using it. Yeah. I still couldn't get how do the capacity units relate to the tokens? Was that just me or? Uh, so you have a number of capacity units in, in Fabric. Yes. And we're going to get back to that in, in another blog post in a bit. But the hmm. different workloads in Fabric will consume different amounts of Fabric cap capacity units. And this mm -hmm. is measured. So the, the, uh, the use of capacity units by copilot will be measured by the number of tokens processed mm. and that is over time so that's why you have to multiply mm. by by time um, as well so yeah mm. all right fun stuff so you always have to multiply by cu seconds per the amount of tokens you consume and then divide by 1000 huh. and then you pay for yeah, this was complicated. I know. Moving yeah. on. We should, I need to buy a co-pilot just to explain this. Sure, but you're <laughs> going to need to pay for that. No, not the regular co-pilot, but uh, yeah. 
So moving yeah, on yeah. to yeah, sorry. the wonderful blog post by Reitze Eskens. He was very recently awarded his MVP, by the way. So congratulations to, to Reitze. Congrats. He <laughs> decided to take all these, hmm, let's play with uh, fabric in, in trial. That's an F64, i.e. the same amount of, of horsepower as a P1 level of a power reactor, which is a pretty big thing. Let's let's compare that to an F2. An F2 is going to set you back roughly 250 euros, give or take, a month. And an F64 is roughly, what is it, six six to 7,000 or maybe even 8,000 uh, per month. So it's, it's a, a pretty hefty investment. He decided to try them out. And Reitze being Reitze, he did not settle for small amounts of data. No, he went and got the TCPH data set. So we're talking mm. billions of rows, which is really, really good because he is really throwing all these tiny data sets out at the window and, and they are not very representative. So he, he points out a few really interesting conclusions. Just running copy does not take a lot of different time. He, he brings in mm -hmm. a crap ton of data and that takes about 30 minutes. Um, just reading and writing CSV from one place and, and dumping it into one lake. Easy. The only difference is that the F2 has 60 capacity units per month and the uh, F64 has 1,920, I think. So you consume more, relatively speaking, more on an F2 than you do for an F64. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing comes when he starts to use the compute engines, and some of them draw more power than you might expect and vice versa. Turning CSVs into parquet, and now we're talking 120 million rows and 4.3 <laughs> billion rows. Uh, the 120 million rows, that's two and a half minutes to one minute 13. So that's a two-time increase in, in speed for between an F2 and F64. Now, as you start to climb with proper amounts of data, 4.3 billion rows, then we're looking at two hours for F2 and seven minutes or eight minutes for F64. Mm. And it keeps going. He does some interesting um, things with um, turning things into Delta Lake and combining stuff. Now we're talking 45 times speed increase if you're dealing mm. with four billion rows. So two hours for an F2 and two and a half minutes for an F64. And of course, he deals with smoothing and bursting and all those things, but really, really good blog post. And I'm pretty sure that he has a session on this as well. It is mm. not as clear cut as you might think. Uh, you might not necessarily need a lot of horsepower in fabric. Then again, depending on what you do, you might need more than you think. So not clear cut, mm. but a really good blog post. But how flexible is Fabric? Like if you want to do one of these things just one time for a specific data set, how flexible is it to scale up and down? Like you always say, and I think Haney as well, when you do a SQL server migration job, just take the biggest thing you can find and migrate and then you're done. Hmm. Can you do the same thing with Fabric? You can with a caveat because mm -hmm. you're, you're essentially borrowing from yourself. That's what 
bursting and, and throttling uh, and smoothing is all about. So at any given moment, you can push your fabric capacity way above what you're paying for. Mm -hmm. But you're essentially mm -hmm. borrowing compute from the future. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it depends on over what time your, your smoothing is being done. And you might get away with, with ah, again, much okay. more than you mm. thought you would. So mm -hmm. it's not yeah. that easy. It's powerful, but it comes with a few challenges when it comes to figuring out what you're going to be paying and also what kind of performance you will have uh, available. Mm -hmm. And my final news item is not an I wonder why you're laughing. It's, it's, um, it's a blog post by Paul Andrew. So Paul is one of these rare people that make me look very, very jovial and, and happy and fun. Paul, Paul is amazingly able to, to just deadpan stuff. He has also a tendency to not shy away from the, the difficult conversations. And in this case, he decided to ask the question, is Azure Synapse Analytics dead? And does it really matter? And he lays hmm. out an interesting discussion around what is the state of Synapse. And in essence, he says that, well, Synapse is essentially dead. There is nothing you need Synapse for that you cannot do with just pipelines, um, ADF or Azure Data Factory hmm. and Databricks and all the other bits and pieces. Either you do that or you do Fabric. Sure, you can mm. stay in, in Synapse, but there is almost nothing happening in Synapse. Now, uh, Bogdan Krivat, which is one of the, the product managers for Fabric, he stepped in and he said, well, he does not agree with the fact that, that it's dead, per se. Um, now It's sleeping. Pretty much. <laughs> of course he would say that, right? Uh, Microsoft has also gone out and said that Synapse is not dead and gone as a product. It, it will get updates, mm. but the, uh, mm -hmm. the development speed has really, really taken a turn for the worst in, uh, in Synapse. And I think that is unfortunate. That's what I had. That's what you had. Mm. Uh, let's continue with some other things then that aren't dead. I think I only have releases. Uh, so... First and foremost, we have talked about this before. Now it's announced and should be available March 1st, if I'm not completely wrong. Uh, we now have PKI or Cloud PKI as a service within the Microsoft Intune suite. Uh, I don't think... I, I know people that like to play around with PKI and, and certificate infrastructures. I'm not one of those persons. Uh, I would rather have someone do that for me. Problem is that some of us actually likes to be in control of our certificates. But what you mm -hmm. now will be able to get as part of the Microsoft Intune suite, for the ones of you that already have purchased it, this will be included in the same price, um, is now the ability to have a certificate infrastructure hosted by Microsoft and directly connected to Intune. So you will be able to connect your own CA infrastructure at some point to it if you want, but you can also self-host it completely in Intune and get everything you need to use certificates in your Wi-Fi or whatever it might be. Uh, and you don't need any additional infrastructure, which has been a hassle with uh, uh, Intune for many, many years. So this is a very welcome addition. I think this will be um, 
highly appreciated by a lot of organizations, dependent on the size of the organization, of course, because you pay, uh, if you don't get the Intune suite, which is around $10 per user per month, you will likely pay somewhere around 2 to $3, that's me guessing, uh, for this feature as well, per user per month. And that mm. might be expensive and it might not be, dependent on how big your infrastructure is, how much time you spend on it, uh, and the use cases for these certificates. There are a lot of things missing still. This is primarily aimed at Wi-Fi, VPNs, things like that. Uh, we are still missing some other use cases for these certificates, but I'm sure they will be there at some point. So check out Cloud PKI. We also got a head uh, in um, uh, Entra because you will now be able to very use your Entra verified ID. It's basically a uh, an identification that you can use for various things, like in different kinds of signups for. Uh, programs with your local grocery store or just to verify that you actually are who you are. The long-term thinking with this is that Microsoft and you yourself should be able to have verified IDs uh, to ensure that you... It's it's basically a digital smart card or identity mm. card that you can use for various things. You now will... Or they are now introducing face check in preview. So where you will actually be able to compare the face that you had when you signed up for a verified uh, ID uh, and then verify that whoever is showing this verified ID to you um, is the same person. So it's basically a biometric uh, way of verifying the verified ID, which I think mm -hmm. is uh, really cool and certainly a step in the right direction. This is built on an open standard, so hopefully in time it will be a sort of digital identification cross states uh, and cross services so i think that is rather cool it's available in preview now uh, and uh, verified id is something i would love to check up on more uh, i know that i have colleagues in the business that are already using it uh, and it's integrating it in everything from like physical access to premises to like i said uh, customer programs for various supermarkets and such. The last thing, and I don't know if Alexander will um, like this because you're an old Unix person. We are now getting sudo in Windows. Uh, I also actually saw that we're getting tar and curl. Uh, so they are now introducing more uh, Linux or Mac OS-like commands in Windows. Mm. The sudo one was actually um, found in a leak of a not-yet-released Windows Insider build. Mm. Uh, but with high probability, I would say, uh, it will be there. And you have various ways you can use it. Uh, and I think one of the things that Microsoft is aiming for with this is to get the persons that prefer a Mac OS device or a Linux device back to Windows uh, to become the coding operating system uh, of choice. And the last and probably most important piece of news we have. Should we save that for the very it? end? So that I tell the other serious news items before this last one. 
This is serious, but sure, since since you have a stake in this, absolutely. Yes, we'll go to some newer stuff now. Uh, Let's look at Azure Kubernetes service updates, as I haven't done that for a while. So there is some interesting things that have come out now to uh, GA. So within AKS, they have now done some optimization on how much the Kubernetes itself reserves resources on that cluster because that is actually can have been some issue that it has reserved quite a bit in the past but they've been able to decrease that now by 20 percent the amount of resources that it reserves on the cluster and that's quite a substantial decrease actually and that of course means that you can you know use that compute that you have in your cluster more efficiently, because not so much of it is going to the cube itself. And then a second point here is that uh, it is now possible to customize your egress type with something something called an outbound type in Azure Kubernetes service. So by default, when you've created a Kubernetes cluster and defined egress, so the route that the traffic goes out from the cluster, it has created a, a standard load balancer for that purpose. But that might, might not always be quite sufficient if you want to have more control over it. So now they have defined these kind of outbound types where you do still have the load balancer, but then you can also define a uh, managed NAT gateway. So there is the Azure NAT gateway that this would use behind the scenes. Uh, but you could also have a user-assigned NAT gateway. So if you already have a NAT gateway in your VNet, you could leverage that as well. Uh, you can also use user-defined routing so that there isn't really uh, a, a service there to be kind of the endpoint where the traffic goes out. So those are the current options that are there. There are other options that you can kind of custom configure still at this point. And maybe we will see this list of options also growing in the future. That's kind of at least where my mind goes here, but we'll see how it keeps developing. But it makes it kind of a more straightforward process to change this setting because previously you might have also needed to recreate your entire cluster to change the type of egress that you have in use. I would say it's useful. <laughs> so I think I understand what it does. Mm. But why would what is the use case? What is the value of it? Because in my mind this is now when you watch Netflix, you send mm. a very small amount of data to some kind of cluster. Uh, I have no uh, clue uh, how Netflix is built, but this is how I, how I try to understand it. But it then sends you back a lot more data. And that's the logic I'm trying to ad- apply this to. That Would that be a use uh-huh. case? So where you, your cluster is sending more data than it receives, then you want to load balance it, the outbound traffic? Or when would you use well, this? I- I think the most common scenario is where your services actually call some other third-party services. And you, for example, Mm -hmm. need to be able to have a static IP for that use case. That would be a very Ah. common scenario there. 
So I would say that is mm-hmm. the more common way to use this, at least. Yeah. So it's about saving IP addresses and, and doing calls outbound more than sending a lot of data in some yeah, direction. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Because normally if you do get a lot of data, it doesn't, you would get that more likely from some kind of like uh, cache or CDN or something mm. like that. So that yep. would be more likely in that case. Then we yep. do have some updates uh, on the networking side as well, which doesn't happen, you know, networking has been around even in Azure for quite a long time. So <laughs> we don't necessarily see, you know, news items around this anymore so much. But there is now something called topology mm-hmm. that has become generally available. And where does this sit within the context of networking is that it is under the kind of the Azure monitor side of it. So it's not like a new service or anything like that. It's something that will help you visualize how you've configured your networks, what kind of uh, uh, services do you have in your network and so forth. And so it it enables you get like a more visual sense of what have you deployed in there as well. So for example, what you can see on your topology is your application gateways, your bastion host, front door profiles, express route circuits, load balancers, network interfaces, network security groups, private endpoints, private link services, public IP addresses, virtual machines, virtual network gateways, and of course, virtual networks themselves. So quite an extensive list of the different services. The documentation actually still says that this is in preview, but the update page said that this is generally available. So I would think that the documentation is just a little bit uh, behind on that and being able to show that. And from the link, you can also see kind of some visualization samples. So it's kind of this... I would say like you have the nodes and then how do they link together type of graph that you are able to see. And you're able to even uh, kind of add regions to your visualization. So if you have like a multi-region set up in Azure, that can be handled as well. Useful. Yeah, it does sound really useful, especially if you have more complex types of networking Mm -hmm. setups in place. Definitely. So uh, there is also some updates in Azure Container Apps as the last topic here. So um, I find this one a little funny, but uh, there is a capability to add additional TCP ports that are open in your Azure Container App. And the interesting thing here is that Container Apps has supported TCP-based protocols for a while, other than HTTP and HTTPS. It actually started with only the HTTP and S uh, options. So there wasn't TCP support in the beginning, but then that came in and you were able to use TCP uh, ingress to expose your Container App uh, if that is what you need. And you do need so that your container app environment is in a your own virtual network so that you have configured it with a VNet that you manage yourself. 
And this also then enables you uh, to access, for example, externally your container app with a fully qualified domain name. But up to this point, you've been only able to have one of those. So with this, you are able to have actually the maximum of additional ports that you can have per app is five at this point. And yeah, it, it sounds a little silly because you think that, well, this should be kind of there already, but you know, container apps is a really uh, young service still. We have to remember that. So there are still quite a bit of these capabilities coming in uh, once in a while as well. But you, of course, have the same uh, restrictions as you have for a single TCP port. So you need to have a custom VNet. And uh, if you have the app set as external, then you those additional TCP ports can be external as well. Otherwise, they cannot be. And then if you expose any additional TCP ports, they must be unique within your entire container apps environment, where you, of course, then can have multiple of these container apps present. Yes, so a little update on that. I would say also useful and definitely makes it more flexible and usable for a more variety of scenarios going forward, because sometimes you've had these restrictions where you cannot use Azure container apps. But with that, I think we can move on to the fun part. <laughs> I think I'm the only one in this trio that thinks this is fun. Uh, but I'm I also think the it's only funny. person, as, as far as I know. Yeah, but I'm also the only person, as far as I know, that enjoys Eurovision and the Swedish equivalent Melody Festivalen. Uh, but congratulations to Finland that will be re represented by Windows 95 Man in Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> the only downside is that he isn't allowed to call himself that when he reaches Eurovision because he can't do product placement. But if you can't use a product that is now older than most of the people that watches Eurovision, I don't know where the line is drawn. But congratulations. And if you haven't seen the remarkable, uh, entertaining act of Windows 95 Man, check out the show notes and be prepared for a Windows experience that you will mm -hmm. never get off your eyeball again. So I, well done, I would say, like, be advised, you might be permanently damaged by this performance. <laughs> <laughs> so Finland had Lordi a few years back. <laughs> yeah. And then Finland said, hmm, hold my beer and came up with this. Mm -hmm. But they had Kadia last year. <laughs> and on that bombshell... <laughs> I think we're done. I think Thank so too. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a pleasure as always, despite the challenges we had today. But um, until next week, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Hidibin Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Haini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at